I am choosing to forgive him and to just let this go because it's actually getting in the way of us having a wonderful, clear relationship, which I desire. Like I, I want that for the rest of my life. Hello, welcome to Act Inspired Behavior, the show about real people and their real stories of transformation and change, told through the lens of acceptance and commitment therapy. I'm Gabby Lanier. Today's episode is about forgiveness. Forgiveness between someone and their close loved one, a parent actually. Gosh, I I don't know about you, but forgiveness is one of the hardest things I've had to do in my life. Maybe because it's so easy to not forgive. Time can go on and it's easy to not confront those feelings of ill will, of resentment, judgment, um, bitterness. But there is a cost to this avoidance, right? In the long term, you lose out on a lot and those things, though maybe it's not apparent at first, the loss can pile up as the weeks, months, and years go on. You lose time, you lose moments of love and affection, of joy. Ironically, you lose that too. You lose little bits of your relationship. I want to share a moment I've had with forgiveness, though this moment has long passed and it's also a story about my dad. My dad, um, just to give you a little bit of context, he was born and raised in the south of Ecuador, a city called Cuenca when I was younger, I never noticed the fact that he wasn't teaching us something, his own native language. He didn't, he never taught us Spanish. And so I grew up knowing some words like the word mote, which is hominy and sala, which is living room and some other kind of just random words. But I never really learned to understand or communicate at all in Spanish. I remember when he'd put me on the phone with my tia or my mama chana. Um, Mama chana is my grandmother. Back then, I was really shy, and I would start by saying, hola, (laughs) and then they would speak to me in Spanish, and they'd be like, mi niña, mi namorcita, oh, como esta, mi niña bella, and I would have nothing, I would understand nothing. (laughs) I would just stand there shaking, and I would beg my dad, you know, um, I, I would know when he would call family members, and I would beg him not to give the phone to me, but he always did. And he would say something like, talk to your mama, Chana Gabi, just talk to her. And, you know, (laughs) like, it was just that kind of dynamic. And I I think my dad thought I'd learn Spanish by immersing myself in two small minute increments um, with distant relatives, you know, every couple of weeks, Um, which, by the way, I didn't. Um, And the most poignant moment for me happened when I was about 14. We traveled to Toronto where my mama Chana lived. We celebrated Christmas together. And then, so there were a lot of relatives present and some spoke English, but as the night wore on, everyone spoke in Spanish. I remember the laughing and the singing and the talking. It was kind of just all swirling around me. And I was on this to- this island totally by myself. I didn't understand anything. I was the only one there who didn't speak Spanish. And so I ended up just going to bed early that night and I I still remember hearing this kind of incomprehensible chatter in the background and I just cried myself to sleep. I hated that he never took the time to teach me. I felt like somehow he did it on purpose to punish me, which, you know, that's of course not true, but that's just how I felt. I couldn't let go of that feeling. 
And that night I had this, this small vow to myself. It was almost kind of like, you know what? I am going to learn Spanish even if I have to do it myself. And I did. I, I learned Spanish in high school. I studied it in college. And then when I was 19, I, I went to Ecuador by myself um, without my dad. <laughs> and then eventually I lived in El Salvador for a couple of years as a Peace Corps volunteer. You know, learning Spanish gave me the confidence to do so many more things in my life. And it was kind of the beginning of this ripple effect. And so, you know, it is a goal now for me to teach Spanish to my own children. And you know what? Guess what? It is really hard. I found it. I have and continue to find it extremely hard to teach Spanish to my children, to my child intentionally. Um, and sometimes I feel that kind of parental guilt sneaking in. And then I look to my dad and then I just give myself grace the same way I have given my dad grace. Um, and dad, for the record, I completely, utterly forgive you and I love you. Te amo mucho. So how about you? Did you experience a moment of forgiveness? And how did you get there? How long did it take? Or are you still in the middle of it? If you are, you are so not alone because I'm there too in other ways. <laughs> so our guest today, she has an experience about her own father and her journey toward forgiveness. Listen to her story, her very real struggle, and how she was able to develop compassion for her dad that ultimately led her to placing more importance on her love than on dwelling on her feelings of hurt. And just one more thing before we move on to this story, I want to say that this story shares some pretty personal information between our guest today, Hannah, and her father. And let me just assure you that all parties, including her father, have given their explicit permission to share the story in its entirety. Hi, Hannah. How are you? I am good. I am uh, a little nervous, but I'm excited that I have this opportunity. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous too, because um, this is just my second interview now. And um, when we first met, you know, they, I just felt like we clicked right away. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited that you're part of this first round of interviews, because it just there's something special about what you're doing and what I'm doing, and it just meshes really well together. So yeah. I'm excited that we can further collaborate on things. Today, you're going to talk about and share your story on forgiveness. So before we get there, do you want to go ahead and just tell us who you are? So I am Hannah Van Patten. Um, I am a 26-year-old grad student. I'm studying applied behavior analysis. I'm in my final semester, which is very, very exciting. Um, and I've been studying acceptance and commitment therapy for about six months. And by connecting with you and a few others, I've learned that you have to really incorporate it into your own life, which is part of the reason why I want to share the story that I'm sharing today. So yeah, I mean, I live on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I work at the high school that I graduated from, which is pretty cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's very connected. I don't think I'll work there forever, but it's pretty cool that I was able to um, 
complete my grad program with that high school. Great. Hey there, real quick. So I want to quickly pause and just share a couple of things about Hannah that she didn't mention in her original interview. I want to share that Hannah is an entrepreneur of a business called Hanny's House, which strives to serve youth and families through mentorship using the framework of mindfulness-based stress reduction, acceptance and commitment therapy, and applied behavior analysis. She has so many wonderful services, products, and workshops that she offers, so please check her work out at hannyshouse.org and on Instagram at Hanny's House. Thank you. Okay, so let's, let's get started with your story. You said that you wanted to share a story today on forgiveness. So mm-hmm. where, where does that story start for you, if you could pinpoint a beginning to it? So since we've been like talking about this, I have been trying to figure out where that started. And it has come to me that the start of the story for me is a different start for my dad, who's the the other kind of player in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, the story started um, in 2016 when I got a letter in the mail (laughs) and it said, it was from the IRS (laughs) and it said, you owe $1,500 and some change. for like tax evasion and fraud. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I just didn't get it. I mean, in 2016, I was 22. So I had had like a couple of jobs, you know, but there was no way that this was accurate or right. So then I started making a bunch of phone calls. Um, And that's kind of like what unraveled into this longer story of confusion and emotions. Wow. So where did you start in terms of making your phone calls? Who did you call first? Well, when I got the letter, I was at my mom's house because I was in college moving around and we opened it together. And my brother also had one. So she was like, well, I'm just going to open that one too. Mm -hmm. And it said the same thing. So my mom was like, well, I don't know, but you better call your father. (laughs) And I'm going to laugh, I think, throughout this story, because I am at a different place now than I was then. So um, which is why it's a good thing you're telling it now and not, you know, two or three years ago. I I think it's better to tell some of these stories after they have long passed and you've had a chance to go back and reflect on them. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's not, it's not that funny, Um, but it's just kind of (laughs) looking back on it. It's like, this is so crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to my mom. She's like, you better call your father. I call my dad and he gets very defensive. (laughs) Doesn't really say much. Um, And The other component was the tax evasion and fraud had happened in 2012, so four years prior, and the IRS had just caught up. Interesting. Um, So that was kind of like the multi-layer kind of confusion and upset on my part and um, my mom's part. 
So everyone in the family kind of responded differently to it. My brother was, he's a very Zen person. He doesn't, he doesn't like become bothered by things that are out of his control. So when he realized, you know, oh, something has been, something has happened that was wrong and it was out of my control. He didn't really have much response at all, which is so beautiful and kind, but at the same time, not everybody is like that. No, no, certainly not. I would, I know I would not have responded that way. <laughs> that would yeah. not be my first response. And how, yeah. how did you respond, Hannah? Well, I was angry and um, my anger looks like sadness <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, like crying and asking questions. So I guess the backstory is the reason why we were being charged this money for tax evasion was because we were given, both my brother and I were given $10,000 by our Nana who had passed away back in 2008. Okay. So that was put into an account that was growing and it was um, accruing money. And even when I was a teenager, when I was given it, I was like, wow, that is going to help me like later in my life. Like, that's so amazing that she was capable of doing that and did it. And so what happened was my dad ended up taking that money and not telling us about it until we got the letter in the IRA, letter in the mail. Mm. So there's like a multifold emotional reaction from me because one, I, I kind of have these plans for this money and also he didn't mention it so I was like angry at that and yeah I was just like it's all like coming back to me now (laughs) yeah I think it was mostly just anger and kind of like this mistrust which I don't think is really like an emotion per se but it was like this betrayal kind of yeah especially when you're you're just a kid really I mean Mm-hmm. That so that would have happened when you were eighteen, is that right? Or would that yeah. have happened for them? Because he his because before you're eighteen, do you have legal rights over that money, or is does that not exactly to your name? Okay, no, you're understanding it completely. So in 2008, when she passed, I was under eighteen. Four years later, in 2012, I had just turned eighteen, but I guess. I don't know, it was in some type of agreement that I wasn't, um, my dad was looking over it for both my brother and I. And um, he was, he's older than I am. But for some reason, my dad still had the legal rights to it. Hmm. So yeah, he, he took that responsibility and chose, chose to do that with it. (laughs) Did you, did you ever find out what he chose to use it for? Um, great question. (laughs) So at the same, so in 2012, my mom was taking him to court for back. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Hey, real quick, jumping right back in. Um, you might not have caught what she said because the audio cut off, but what she said was that her dad owed back paid child support. So it felt for him. So the resolve for him 
was that it, the money was going to my brother and I. Um, so he used the money that my Nana had left us and paid the child support that he was not able to pay, not physically capable of paying. Like, you know, money is either there or it's not there. And that's, that's what he did. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, as you were saying before, it's like unraveling, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because there's part of me that's, you know, when there's a problem, I want to, you seek to understand, right? Like there's got it, there's, there would have been a good reason. And to me, I mean, in a way, if there was a reason, I guess that would be a, a good reason. But at the same time, it's like, that still is unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were, you guys were the kids and you didn't, like you were the innocent party there. And so right. there's no, there's no justifiable reason. It feels like that feels good that you can walk away from and say, okay, oh, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's also that other layer of, um, him not talking to us directly. So when he did it in 2012, I was 18 and my brother was 21. So I, I just felt like, you know, disrespected. It was like, I was still a child. Yes. But like, I would have been able to understand. I may have been angry, but not mentioning it felt even more like he was going through something too with it. Like he was avoiding talking about it because he knew that he maybe didn't have any other choice. Yeah. And I think also for parents too, it's, you want to be that protector. You don't want to be the person possibly harming your kids. And then also to have your kids look at you in this way of, you know, you couldn't afford something, you couldn't do something for them. And That's got to be really hard to admit to for any person. Like, I love my dad. It's like, it makes me teary to think that he would not feel comfortable talking about something with me. But I also understand that he is who he is and he was raised differently than he raised me, for example. Like, he expects me to come to him for whatever I need and always talk about things. Um, And he's very, you know, kind of spiritual in a lot of ways with problem solving and things like that. So it just, it was confusing, but it was also like, you know, I just love you. Like I just wanted that communication, you know? Yeah. So was there a period of time where there was a sense of conflict between you guys and it was harder to talk or you couldn't talk about this topic? Um, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for years, like if we spent too long together, this would come up, whether it was through the lens of money or it was through the lens of family relationships, um, like talking about my Nana's passing. So there was kind of all these different avenues where it could have been brought up and then conflict would happen where again that defensiveness from him would come out and I was still in I I kind of became this kind of like I think with the introduction of mindfulness and meditation into my life I adopted this kind of like curious attitude and compassionate attitude 
that was helpful for me to be able to navigate those conversations, even when they weren't going that well. Um, but there was definitely a period before I started, um, you know, adopting that mentality where I was, it would still be a point of conflict for both of us. We would, we would like get off the phone angry and not talk. And um, we, I would be like, you owe me, you know, you did this and you owe me and I don't care what your reason is. <laughs> I like can't believe I was like that, <laughs> but like I definitely was. <laughs> I love that. I mean, <laughs> that's a thing that we'd all want to say. And I think when you're younger, you have the power to say that mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way, because, it's, yeah. you know, like you're still a young adult and your filter isn't there. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I think for you, if you had been depending on that money that was folded into your in- vision of the future. Yeah. And so that part was stolen from you too. What, yeah. what were, what were your plans for that money? Um, well, I, I've always wanted to buy a house of having a home and like owning a property with a lawn. (laughs) And like, I thought that that would be the perfect down payment because it was going to grow and grow. Um, just in the four years that it was safe in that account, it had grown like $4,000 in four years. Um, so to think that I could use it now, which it would have been, you know, I don't like going down that rabbit hole of thinking what it could be worth now, because it's not, it's no longer available to me, but um, I really was wanting it to, and I I also didn't know that I would be attending grad school. I never thought that that would be my plan. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, I did initially think that it would be a great down payment for a home and to really like start that chapter. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Okay, so let's take a moment and reflect back on what Hannah has shared so far. I really like how she used the word unravel several times as she's telling her story, because it really does feel like there's this kind of unraveling of something. And also, it really makes me think about almost like a ball of yarn. I don't know if you're a knitter or crocheter or you use yarn, but if you've ever been in a situation where you've had like a knot in your yarn, um, it's really hard to undo it if that knot is, is pretty complex. And sometimes it can really trip you up and you spend a lot of time trying to like disentangle yourself from this knot, right? Um And also think about with like the knot too, like if you try to pull too hard and you try to kind of just force it, it actually makes it worse. Your brain tries to solve the problem. It tries to kind of undo that knot and fix it completely. But the issue is, is like when we try to like grab at it and solve it and make the pain go away, there isn't really usually a clean solution to any one of these really complex problems. The solution I mean, it seems counterintuitive, but it is to loosen. It's to kind of allow so that, especially if you're trying to do a knot here, you know, you try to just very softly untangle. And sometimes you don't even get to that point. You just kind of leave the knot and you just keep knitting, (laughs) keep knitting your sweater, the little knot in there. And that's okay. When it comes to these complex 
situations, what Hannah is talking about, and she's hinting at, she's going to talk more about, is that if we can use this skill in acceptance and commitment therapy, we call it acceptance. Um, and also there's this other skill here at play, and she mentions it, which is this mindfulness around how you're feeling and kind of just opening up, which is also involving that sense of acceptance and curiosity. And it allows for so much more to happen than if you were to close up and really tug at and try to disentangle yourself by, by force of will. I have found it to be true in my own relationships that I struggle with right now, that the more you can open and you can soften and you can allow yourself to be rather than resistant to but curious about some of the stuff that's going on for you and your struggle, the more you can allow that compassion to start pouring in and connecting back to what's most important, which is most likely what your relationship is all about in the first place. So let's go ahead and we'll go back to to Hannah's story and see how she goes through this process of opening up. So, okay. So you had some really tough conversations, some kind of almost breaking points. And it it sounds like almost no, no matter where you turn, given a little bit of time, that situation, that memory, that conflict would arise in conversation whether maybe it was verbally said out loud or non-verbally said, because it's like everything was related back to this topic mm-hmm. that was so painful. So how did, how did you start the process of forgiveness? What did, what did that look like for you in the beginning? Well, I think it started with the adoption of the, the openness and like really trying to understand why and in what position was like the position that my dad was in at the time and really like truly providing compassion to him because I, I know how much he also loves me and my brother. And like, similarly to what you said, and I appreciate your, um, you know, care and compassion for both him and I in this conversation. I think I, I truly just was like, open to him making the best decision that he could have made given that what he knew at the time and I think that that's like kind of an attitude I started adopting in my life in general like we only know what we know yeah so like we we can only everyone can only act on life within the context of what they know now and then once we learn something new, we could have made maybe a different decision. And it, it kind of sounds like for your dad, maybe he had foreseen how this would have played out mm-hmm. in the long term. But in the short term, this stress, this um, probably anguish he was feeling about this debt he had to owe your to your mom and, and to you guys too, in a way, was clearly more dire than... Yeah long-term consequences it would have had on on your relationship and clearly you were going to find out I mean there's just no way you wouldn't have found out like it's not like you would have forgotten about those 10,000 plus accruing dollars so and I I think that if if the money had been used for something else too if it had um, something maybe more personal to him Mm -hmm. that it maybe there would be a different outcome but but even if there wasn't I mean I'm I really admire your ability to be to just open up rather than close up and resist all 
connection because I, I really see it. I mean, there's there's two ways you can go here. You can just, well, I guess maybe three, like you can keep this this kind of conflict that's like this thorn in your side, or you can close up and become even more solidified in your um, distaste for his decision, or you can do what you did and you can open up, which is of the three options in the short term is the hardest thing to do. But in the long term, like what has that given back to your relationship? Yeah, that's a good like as you're speaking I'm like well this is this is where I it's almost feels selfish because I want a really close relationship with my dad mm-hmm. and I know it's not selfish but it, it I am choosing to forgive him and to just let this go because it's actually getting in the way of us having a wonderful clear relationship which I desire like I I want that for the rest of my life I think that's kind of just my motivating piece is is giving that to myself it by forgiving this and just letting it go and and providing that understanding that that he did what he needed to do and yes it affected me and potentially my future it 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 doesn't because it happened and now that I have let it go, we are clear and more loving than we were if I hadn't. Mm. That just yeah. gave me the chills. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. I mean, gosh, everyone can relate to that, right? There's something that they want. It, it, it's almost like this bruise that you want to like touch because you're like, yes. I want to feel resentment. I want to feel this way because it feels justified and my brain goes there. Mm-hmm. And letting go of that lack of a better word, like hatred or, you know, whatever negative connotation you have towards that person. Right. Like letting go of that feels so hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you chose not to do that. And that's beautiful. And I hope that one day that you can save up money to buy a home. I know that you will, you know, you have that goal and that, that will happen for you. And I also wonder too, when you get to that point where you save that money and you have that money kind of in your, that you've earned yourself, how that might mean something different than if this whole situation hadn't happened. Like what would it represent for you? I wonder. Yeah. I mean, just pure independence. I I often get empowered thinking like, I just want to get to a point. And that's part of my switch in, in letting it go. I'm just doing the work that I love and like money comes. I I just, I feel that if we're doing like the work that we love and we're really committed to it and it's a money-making opportunity, then we can just flow into that. Money will come and support me in every way that I need. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this point of contention, this you want money to serve you and to be abundant for you because yeah. you, you earn it and you put your energy there, but it's, it's not necessarily this thing that you're, um, I can't even put the words to it. Struggling with. And I think like, yeah. I want that for my dad too, because I know he struggles with money, which is part of the reason this all happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't want him to have to struggle with money. Like I want him to live in abundance too. And 
at some point, like with the forgiveness, like I've been able to really think I want him to not worry about money either. If I can do something, if I'm free of worry about money and I can help him not worry about money, I'm going to do that, you know? And I think that's also like an opportunity that has come from not holding on to the resentment and like the feeling of like, you owe me, which I'm just so not into. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hannah. Yeah. And this is like the, you know, the gift your, your Nana gave you mm-hmm. now the gift you're giving your dad. Yeah. Like maybe that's what, and I, I often think about um, her, you know, and what she would think about all this, you know? And I think she would be um, like very proud of me that, I have chosen to do this because she loved her sons. Like she had three sons. My dad has two brothers and she like loved them like too much, you know, like she would just give them everything that they needed in life. (laughs) And like, I think that she would be grateful to me that I loved him more than maybe he did in that moment. Yeah. And you gave him the grace when he needed it the most. Yeah. 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 Thank you for we're filling each other's sentences there you go (laughs) thank you (laughs) okay well this is a wonderful story I was I was really looking forward to this one so I'm like you know what I need a little forgiveness lesson um (laughs) I was reading one of the chapters in a liberated mind by Stephen Hayes Mm -hmm. there's a little I remember there's a little section on forgiveness and my ears perked up I was like okay yeah yeah let's read this one okay okay like I'm trying to look for the instructions on how to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to forgive small, small things that don't, that aren't all encompassing. And it's harder to forgive things that feel re- very entrenched that have maybe happened repeatedly over the course of time. Yeah. And um, so And so there's no one pathway to forgiveness, right? There's no ingredient or equation that you can follow. But I do think it's helpful to hear from other people and their road that they took, you know, and that also that they struggled a lot, like that feels so validating. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just have to say, like, I, I, I do think like, um, because this was an isolated incident, it became easier to just let go of. But I can I can hear what you're saying in that ongoing hurts and things like that with from people that you love and that you don't want to lose. Um, I mean, it's really hard. And you have to walk that line of like loving yourself and loving the other person and you know, under giving them understanding and compassion, um, while also still maintaining boundaries if needed. Um, yeah. Again, yeah, you're right. Like it's not like a single thing you can do. It's like an ongoing justification of of the moment and validation of the experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well. Um... I just wanted to thank you again for, for sharing your story. And it was very powerful. I, I will think of this often. I can, I can just tell that um, I'll be thinking about this for a while. And I know I will be, because I'll probably listen to this interview at least 10 times. (laughs) (laughs) 
as I'm yeah. going through it, but it, it is, it's good. And um, I always tell this to my, my, my coaching clients. I'm like, you know, I'm, I meet with you and I, you know, I guide you, help you, but I always remind them that their experiences also help me. I'll think of things that they're saying or doing. And then it remind me of something that has happened. And then there's this mutual sharing, this mutual growth. And that feels so mm-hmm. awesome. I just yes. love it. So. Yeah, I, I okay. totally agree. And I, I really do appreciate the, the opportunity to share this story kind of publicly without you know, these stakeholders present, you know? Um, So it's nice to just be able to tell the story. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. This is a safe space. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Say hello. 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 Are you awful cross? Yes. Why? Because I want to be cross. In this episode, you heard from Hannah, who is very close to taking her BCBA exam and moving forward in her future, which I believe is filled with abundance because she has and continues to live her life with openness, curiosity, and compassion, leading her to live a life defined by her values. Maybe you connected to her story and can look to something in your life where you experienced a moment of struggle requiring forgiveness. Maybe it took you days, weeks, months, or even years to get to that place of forgiveness. If that's the case, then that's normal, and we learn that here in her story. But maybe also this is the journey that can be the thing that brings your life unexpected joy, should you cross those boundaries of avoidance, because it opens you up to live a life in line with your values in those relationships that you hold really dear. It's not easy. But the path is there for you to take should you decide to step forward with compassion and curiosity. All right, there she is. share about an opportunity to participate in a monthly group meeting called ACT Collective. In this community, we meet to discuss topics related to ACT, review a research article, and practice acceptance and commitment therapy strategies live in session with each other. It's also an excuse for us to get together, to laugh, to share our goals, and to get accountability for following through on our goals. If you are interested in joining, reach out or check out ACT Collective on my website, actinspiredbehavior.com. And also, if you're interested in reaching out and telling your story or would like to learn more through my blog, workshops, or coaching, find me on Instagram at actinspiredbehavior or use the link from my website listed in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Say bye. 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 Hello again. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Content and conversation provided in this podcast should not be taken as or replace professional or therapeutic recommendations. As a board certified behavior analyst, my goal is to disseminate ACT and behavior analysis to the wider public and to have meaningful conversations to further explore our understanding. 
If you are concerned about your own personal well-being, I encourage you to seek out the help of a licensed professional who can provide individual support to you. Thank you.